The ten follow suit. What did I tell you? Nothing to it. Her eyes are large and brown, dull from her morning medication and from not enough sleep, but they flash with her victory. I can't help it. Her cheat bothers me, but I go along. It's not worth arguing about. You're on a roll, I tell her. When all 52 are distributed, ace to king in four matching rows. Now try the other kind, the jump over. I quit when I'm ahead. She pushes the pile in a jumble toward me, finds the button that adjusts her angle, and sinks to a reclining position. I take the cards, shift my weight, and shuffle, riffle, and pat them even. Out of habit, I offer Mom an illegal cut, which she ignores. Then I pick up the deck and peel off a four of clubs. Do you remember how, Mom asks? The object of the game is to reduce everything to a single pile. You set the whole deck down, one by one, then find a match with the card that comes before, either by suit or number. A six on a six, a spade on a spade. You can find its mate next door, or by jumping back too. No more, no less. I usually end with about twenty short stacks. This time it's eighteen. I never win this, I say, rising to leave. You fold too easy. Let me see those cards once. But Mom doesn't move. Something's wrong. She seems suddenly smaller, as if she has shrunk in her bed. Her eyebrows relax and she stares to the ceiling. Her hands go limp at her side. It occurs to me for the first time that this hospital visit might be different. That she might really have a disease. I start to reach for the white cord with a button on the end, but Mom snatches it first and puts it under the sheet. She looks over my shoulder and makes like she's trying to smile but can't quite bring it off. I turn and see my father in the doorway. For a big man, he's quiet, and I'm always surprised when he appears. He's tall and heavy, with skin a shade browner than mine. He has let his afro grow out, and there's rainwater caught in his hair. His mailman uniform is damp, too, the gray wool pants baggy round his knees. At his wrist, the bracelet of three metals, copper, iron, and brass, has a dull shine. I've never seen him without it. He looks uncomfortable and edgy in the brightly lit room and wets his lips. Riona, what's happening? He asks me. These are the first words I've heard from him since my 15th birthday, five months ago. And he telephoned to say he'd be late to the party, so I'm not friendly. I stand. I push 5'10", taller than any other girl in my school, but I still feel short in front of him. Don't you say hello to your father? Dad asks me. Elgin, Mother says behind me. I thought you only visited when I was asleep. Visited? Mom must have called to tell him she was out of commission. There's no other way he could have known, because her friends are not permitted to speak to him these days. You go on now, Ray, Mom says. Elgin and I have to talk. She's been busy rearranging herself and the bed. The cards have disappeared and the table is pushed off to the side. She's now lying almost flat, with the sheet tucked under her chin. The pillow still supports her knees, though, so she has to lift her head to see us. 
Now don't rush off, Dad says to me. Let me get a look at you. He inspects me like a first-class package, looking for loose flaps. His eyes measure and weigh, take me apart and put me back together. I wait for him to compliment my height, to say, as he likes to do, that I take after him rather than Mom, who only comes up to my ear, even in her highest heels. I expect he'll judge I'm too skinny, but he just shakes his head, half sad, half confirmed in some belief. I'll see you tomorrow, baby, Mom says like an order. She's impatient for me to go so she can have Dad to herself, and that makes me curious. I don't know what she sees in him. She has other boyfriends who call when they promise, pay the check at restaurants and want to live with us. Ray doesn't have to leave, Christine. She's no fool. Dad's words run along.